Hello and welcome to the 9320 podcast. I'm Lloyd and I'll be your host for this episode of League Matters, uh, which is back after a short hiatus with a lot of discuss with a lot to discuss. Um, and so, given it was obviously the derby this weekend, I think we're going to try and keep this a Mourinho-free and United-free zone. So, apologies to any Blues looking for a bit more red bashing, but that will come later in the week. Um, as I know, Howard and Asan are going to sit down off a bit more of a long view and uh, try and add some reasoned analysis once the dust has settled. Um, so, yeah. But joining me today, first of all, I've got the aforementioned Howard. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay, thanks. Not bad. Not bad. How was your weekend? <laughs> <laughs> it ended really well, let's put it that way. So Peaked around yeah. 6pm on, on, on Sunday? Yeah, roughly about then, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just, you know I hate, everyone knows I hate the day. But this actually was the most relaxed one, I think, in years. I think the first of the season's better anyway. Obviously, we're not going to discuss the match, but you know, the first of the, I think the first derby of the season is a bit less stressful because less on the line. Yeah, exactly. There's six months of the season to go. Uh, the fact that they're not very good <laughs> only made me more worried. But yeah, I was I wasn't too bad during it. It's during the game that's worse, to be honest. Uh, though once it starts, you do get yeah, you're just glad it's getting underway, to be honest. But yeah, I know I hate the days, but. The results, some of the results down the years have given me some of the best days possible. So, you know, I should stop moaning, really. <laughs> Spot on, yeah. Well, I know you'll talk a bit more about it later in the week, so I won't push well, you on your so. thoughts. Um, and then also joining me, we've got David as well. How are you, mate? Yeah, really good, Lloyd. You? Head a little bit better than yesterday, or you, you were all right, actually. Yeah, um, I was in a better place than you were. Oh, well. <laughs> Can't disagree with that, to be <laughs> Okay, great. Right. So as as usual with, with these podcasts, we're going to kick off with an opening question. Um, and it's one that me and Asam were just having a chat about. And I know we try not to mention um, Alison Rudd too much on this podcast because I think she has a particular opinion. City fans have a particular opinion of her um, and she can say some very strange and divisive things. However, I thought... What they discussed on the Times podcast this week, was, which was quite interesting, uh, definitely lends itself to debate, and that's around Player of the Year. And Alison Rudd was basically saying that Van Dijk should win Player of the Year, I think, stand, because Player of the Year is about how important that player is to the side, and Van Dijk's been the most important player to any team this season. And then surprisingly, I think that's something that Gab Marcotti was agreeing with, saying there's no way any City player can win it. Um Howard, I'll come to you first. What What are your thoughts on that? Because I think my initial impression um, is it seems to have completely moved the needle from last season where people, it was almost kind of agreed that De Bruyne was City's most important player, but Salah scored so many goals that it was almost impossible not to give it to him. So, I don't know, it doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to add up to me, but what are your thoughts? Yes, it's we've conveniently changed the rules so that a, a Liverpool player is at the forefront of the nominations again. Seems to be the general gist of the argument. Uh, I wonder what they'll come up with next season for why a different Liverpool player should win Player of the Year. Uh, let's just, I mean, just boil it down to what they're saying is that if a team is really, really good and better than everyone else, their one of their players can never win Player of the Year. And that in itself is absolute drivel. I mean, it's just nonsensical rubbish. I don't mind it being factored in 
performing, you know, taking in what's around you. But to suggest that Van Dijk's transforming Liverpool, and he has been a success, is ridiculous. He's not transformed some mid-table cloggers. And I think there's been a change of, sort of change of tactics from Klopp as well, which, you know, has helped the defence, but taken something away from their attacking intent somewhat this season. So to say that Van Dijk has just completely showed up a defence that was conceding loads of goals is, for me, ridiculous anyway. I just... I I used to know a United fan when they were obviously winning all the time, saying that the best team, the player of the year should always come from the team that wins the league. Now, that's equally ridiculous to me. It shouldn't automatically be from the team that wins the league. It should quite simply be the best player and... That happens to be in the best team, and there's always a chance of that. You know, how can you argue against that? I just don't see why they can suggest that. And using Alison Rudd's argument, or even Marcotti's then, why was Edison not in with a shout last season? Because no, none of us would claim that he should have been player of the year last season, you know, for the whole Premier League. But he changed cities. I think he was more integral to how a team played than any other player. But, you know, we weren't silly enough to say, well, he should be player of the year for that reason. just think it's a terrible argument, to be honest. I mean, you should factor in that, you know, the team you're having to play with and, you know, if, you, if you're carrying the team fair enough. But, yeah, it's just guff for me, in my opinion. Who would you, if you had to, um, if you had to give an alternative, who, who would it be at this point? At this point in the season? Yeah. Right now, <laughs> I, could, I could honestly put forward either of the Silvers, Bernardo or David, are two of the best performing players in the Premier League right now. Yeah. And Sterling. And Van Dijk, you know, not, I'm not saying Van Dijk is not in with a shout. I'm just saying, the, you know, the criteria they're putting forward yeah, is utterly ridiculous. Uh, I'm not saying, no, he can't be player of the year. I'm saying that that's not how it should be chosen. But, you know, it's an award at the end of the day and awards don't always make sense anyway. It's votes and narratives and, you know, it's not always the best player. But, you know, I, I love, yeah, I think there's been awards handed out in the past because a player who has sparkled throughout his career has never got one. For that reason alone, David Silva must be in with a shout of the award if he continues doing what he's doing so far this season. Yeah, definitely, definitely. David, what what about for you? What are your what are your thoughts on how they've kind of couched this argument? Because I think that's that's more more the issue. I mean, I think as Howard said, Van Dyke, if you drew up a kind of a short list of six as they often do, would certainly be in the argument. But it's just this shifting of the the needle that I find peculiar. Absolutely, I I, I completely agree with Howard. I think it's that they've. They've made it so simplistic. Their argument is so simplistic as to why it, why it should be Van Dyke. I mean, firstly, to it's probably not even a, a discussion for this this point in the season. Twelve games in, um, but I, I agree. It, it it feels like it's, a, it's it's almost like the opposite criteria to to why Salah should have won it over De Bruyne last season. Um, but for me, I, I, I think Van Dijk has made a, a, a real big impact at Liverpool. But likewise, they've, they, they have altered things in the way they set up 
Um, and I think their defence is, is less exposed now. Um, and therefore, potentially, it's probably a bit bit easier to, to, to defend in a Liverpool team. Um, they, they, I think Howard made a really good point about a, a player coming to potentially towards the end of his career in the Premier League, often um, picking up something. I feel like it ha- I think it happened with Giggs. Um, Scott Parker as well. Yeah. Um, but but for me, I, I, for me, the standout player so far this season has been David Silva. Um, I, I think... He's he's altered his his game. He he's, he seems to almost reinvent himself, and the fact that he's he appears to be more of a, a goal threat um, and not just the assist or the pre-assist. Um, it, for, for me, if, if we had to say at this stage, it'd be David Silva. Um, it, it just it, but you know for for a Times podcast which I listen to, and I I, I generally find it fairly informative, depending on which journalist is on. Um, it just surprised me how simplistic they they made the argument and and then that, that everyone else agreed with it. It was, it was a bit bizarre for me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, th- I think, I mean, I, I'm on and off with that podcast just because Alison Rudd, it's almost like a guilty pleasure. I know Stefan feels the same. We spoke about it on Monday. <laughs> uh, you almost, you, you, you go into it knowing that it's just going to piss you off, but it's kind of... Yeah. weirdly cathartic um, I've, I've had I've had to avoid all podcasts you know general national ones this week to be honest for obvious reasons yeah yeah Barry Glendening calling our owners two rags and just that level of analysis I could do without to be honest so. yeah no that's I, I, I've been the same I've, uh, I've kept a little bit of distance and it's been it's been quite refreshing actually yeah cool okay um, right well let's move it on then Um and I think the main, the kind of main topic that I want to focus on, um, because I think it's it's becoming it's something that people are starting to talk about, and City, I think they're talking about City as part of this, but it's also something you know that the statistics are showing quite clearly, and there's and there's definitely a trend, and that's the kind of seeming um, divide that's opening up between the haves and the have-nots, and you know of that we've got City, Chelsea, Liverpool, all unbeaten at 12 games in, which I don't think has ever happened before in the Premier League, all on for 100-plus points as things stand. And obviously, the bottom seven have, I don't think it's a record low number of points in terms of uh, collectively, but they've all got very few, and there are quite a few um, on course to finish with you know, around 20, between 20 and 30. David, do you think there is, this is kind of, this trend is actually a trend that exists in the Premier League, and it's it is symptomatic of what's going on. Or do you think actually, you know, the big clubs maybe are just being a bit savvy, and actually, there's never been more money in the Premier League. It's just that this season, it's been it's, it's kind of the big clubs have been really savvy and clever about how they spent it, and maybe not so at the bottom. I, I don't really put it down to um, money that's been spent, particularly over the last summer. Um, there's not not many players that really jump out to me to 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 really change a style of play for the for the top teams. I suppose you could argue Jorginho at Chelsea, um, but other than other than that, I, there's there's no one really jumps out to me from the top team. Obviously, Spurs didn't even sign anyone, so um, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure on that front. I think. Um, I think it's generally the lower teams' approach to the games, and I think it says a lot that 
Wolves really stand out to me as uh, a team that's obviously got positive results against uh, the bigger teams. I think they've drawn away at United and Arsenal, um, drew at home to us uh, and could have got something, maybe deserved something against Tottenham. Um, but they've played their own game um, and, and they've looked to kind of impose themselves. And I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it at the Etihad this season. It's probably it's the easiest way for me to talk about it is... is when we've uh, faced the the generally lower teams, um, they they've basically just they've rolled over. Um, there's been very few kind of competitive Premier League games at, at the Etihad that we that we've had this season, and I think that's almost the same across the board with the the bigger teams. I think it was. It, it, it was refreshing to to see Everton's approach against Chelsea. We might come on to talk about Everton, um, but other than Wolves, um, there's no one else that really stands out to me as has actually gone and tried to impose their own game against the the bigger teams in the Premiership. Now, whether that I mean that may well be down to to coaching and to the um, the impression of uh, the, the the manager, the individual managers give off, and it's almost that. Um, idea of when you go when you go away to one of the big teams it's almost like um you've, you've scratched the game before you even before you've even played the game it's almost like well we're not getting anything here we'll, we'll just get through the game and then we'll we'll, we'll try and uh, pick up points elsewhere and I think the Premier League as a whole potentially suffers for that what it does bring about though is as it seems to be potentially a bit more of a a title race obviously the top Top four at the moment, separated by five points. And as you said, Lloyd, there's, there's there's three undefeated teams after twelve games. But in the grand scheme of things, as you look at the Premier League as a whole, um, I think I think it's um, I think it's detrimental, really, because I think the the gap appears to be getting bigger and bigger. So, do you think just just to move you back slightly on mm. your point? Because I think I think everyone at the moment would would agree that in the last kind of 18 to 24 months, there's been a bit of a shift in how some of the smaller teams approach the games. I think obviously some of Newcastle's games have been the kind of flashpoints for the discussion. I know Carragher in particular, when we went away to Newcastle last year, was very critical. There was a lot of discussion after one of their games against Chelsea this season, I think. Do you think the managers of the smaller team, do you think they're taking this approach because because of resources and they're almost it's almost as if they have to or do you think it's actually uh, you know that actually on the on the converse you know they've never had so much money they've never been able to sign you know top european talent and you know convince them to come and basically have a relegation scrap in the premier league instead of playing for some of the kind of clubs pushing europe um across the continent do you th- do you think it's a, a resu- it's down to resources or there's been almost like a shift um, in coaching um, and kind of like relinquishing of the ball essentially against the cities, the Chelsea's. Yeah, it's for me. It's a it's a shift in a approach from managers, and that's why I go back to Wolves and um, their their manager, new to the Premier League, has has come and kind of tried to influence his own his own uh, style of play on on the opposition, irrespective of of who it is. Um, Resource wise. Um, no, there's well. I think there, there never has been as much money in the Premier League, and you know, look at um, Fulham for instance, spending over a hundred million in the summer. Um, I think we we kind of looked at Cardiff and Huddersfield at the start of the season as potentially they've not they've not recruited well enough, but um, 
you know, Fulham have spent money. I, I, Southampton have spent money. Um, I think I think the the lower half of this, you may say, bottom twelve teams have actually um, spent a fair amount. But it's whether that whether that's been spent well enough. And uh, you know, when when we look at City and we we add just Mares um, to obviously a formula that worked incredibly well last season. Um, there's maybe less less pressure on us to be that um, savvy in the transfer market. Maybe they, maybe the lower teams need to be in the, and they fail to be. Um, what One example that springs to mind for me is Southampton, um, where I think they've signed six or seven players in the summer. Um, and against us in particular, only one of them started. So that suggests to me that there's an issue with that um, that recruitment if you've only got one one starter out of you out of your summer signings. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think that's something that Bournemouth have struggled with up until this season, but that's something we're gonna come on to discuss a little bit later. Howard, what 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 about for you? Where do you sit first of all on this on this gap? Is the gap widening or is this just kind of a freak season in that we've got three teams running away with it and the some teams struggling to a ridiculous extent? Yeah, I think it's more freak season with a bit of the other stuff, to be honest. I said to you a couple of weeks ago, I think it's a bit of an outlier, this table. And the point is, I mean, yeah, in the media, they were discussing this last week, and it's like, well, we're 11 games into a season. You know, let's see what the table is at the end of the season. Then you can have a proper discussion. Then we can make conclusions, perhaps, you know, about whether there's some chasm here. Obviously, the top three... There's, you know, I, I do think it's just a, an outlier snapshot in time. There's always been teams that have gone. City, obviously, a different proposition to a lot of teams that come to us. But you know, teams used to go to Old Trafford and were and were beaten before they'd even stepped on the pitch. And they used to go to Arsenal, Highbury in the pomp, and the same. So there's nothing new there. Uh, you know, those top three that are undefeated, City have played Liverpool. Liverpool have played Chelsea. They just happen to be point, you know, draws, but you know, Mara's missed a late penalty. Uh, Chelsea, you know, Chelsea Liverpool was a draw, but might not have been. So it's just one of those strange statistics that doesn't really tell us anything. They're not all going to get 100 points, and I very much doubt any of the three teams will get 100 points. And, you know, towards, I do think there's a, a wealth of good coaching going on at the top, which could explain it because I think City fans will be quite happy with their manager. I think Liverpool are. I think Chelsea are, as no Spurs are, and I think Arsenal will be pretty damn happy with their manager so far. Uh, and even Bournemouth in sixth, they'll be pretty happy with their manager as well. And Watford's manager's just got a new contract, I think. And you have to reach Mourinho before you start getting dissatisfaction. So there's some. I think we're in a golden era of good coaches for the big teams, which may exacerbate that difference. Whilst at the bottom, you've got you know Fulham, who have spent, have got their own problems. Huddersfield second. There's a different story for every team. Huddersfield, a bit of a second season syndrome for me. Uh, but they were always going to be fighting relegation. Uh, and Cardiff as well. Southampton's just got a, an average manager, in my opinion. And Crystal Palace and Burnley are just underperforming compared to where you think they will. Uh, Newcastle have obviously got issues over investment through their owner. So there's a different story for everything. And West Ham are just... A soap opera club at times. So, you know, there's lots of different stories as always. There's always clubs uh, struggling for a certain reason. There is a chasm, but I'm not sure it's bigger than it's ever been because, like as David said, just, you know, there can, there is, 
smaller clubs can still spend 15, you know, they can still sign 50 million, 20 million pound players. Now that's not the same as City going out and getting Mares and getting De Bruyne and so on. But, you know, they should still be, they've still got the more money than they've ever had. We've seen two promoted sides invest heavily before they came to the Premier League. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't give up on this uh, on the Premier League competition yet, just yet. So, but as I say, we'll have a better idea at the end of the season. No, I, th- I think I think you're right. There is definitely a different story for for each team. But I think an interesting thing when when you when you think about that question I just asked David before, if you look at the take the Premier League table as it currently is, so you've got the top five, and then you've got Bournemouth, Watford, United. They're an outlier. Um, Everton, Leicester, Wolves. They, those to me, those teams there are all the teams that are trying to be progressive. They've got good managers mm. trying to play football, and then it's almost as if then there's the the other half of the table. You Brighton, I think West Ham probably a bit of an outlier, but Newcastle, Burnley, Palace, Southampton, Cardiff, Huddersfield. That's kind of the other side of the coin. That's in you know in a lot of the in a lot of games will take a very reductive approach, especially against the big teams. They'll come in and sit in. And so what, what, what are your thoughts on the kind of like approach thing? Do you think, because I know we've discussed this on podcasts before, do you think that has come about because there is a genuine lack of resources or do you think it's purely a coaching thing? We've got guys, we've got a big contrast between guys like Grazia, guys like um, Howe and then guys, then guys like Warnock, Hughes, Deitch. Yeah, well, you see, I'm seeing it from a City angle. And obviously the approach to the approach to City, you know, how teams approach City is probably different to every other team. Uh because they are scared, truly scared of getting a hiding. Uh and that has changed the approach of a lot of managers. They're just caught between a rock and a hard place. They don't know whether they really can go at us because they know they'll get destroyed. Uh so City are an outlier in that respect because of what Pep's you know created here, and I don't think it would be any difference in the previous era, you know, four or five years ago. Uh, as for the other managers, yeah, yeah, when they're coming up against the likes of Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea, yeah, but you always get this mix in the Premier League. You you get a mix of progressive managers and those that are looking to to restrict, to spoil, to hurry. Maybe there's just a few more than normal this time, but I personally. I don't think you know the, that mix has changed so much. The ratio of it, uh, you know, there's, there's, just like Burnley, I think they were knocked sideways by having to play in Europe and Crystal Palace. I don't think they're restrictive at home, but I never thought they'd struggle this much and have such a lack of goal threat and be reliant on one player. So yeah, there's been a few surprises in there, uh, but I'm I'm not sure. I mean, what do you think? I'm not sure it's any different from what it was a few years ago. Do you think it is? Do you think there's just managers that don't want to have a go at the big teams? I think there's been a bit... I think it's probably similar to... I don't think too much has changed, but I think there's been a a divergence that some of the teams on the edges have either gone really far right or really far left. Um, And we've now got a situation where we've got three or four really good progressive coaches at kind of the middling teams. And I think... Mm. They have got, I mean, you know, you've got Bournemouth are on 20 points, Watford are on 20 points, um, you know, Everton are on 19. And then there just seems to be, I think the gap between 
you know, we always talk about the gap between the top six and everybody else, but I, it feels a little yeah. bit like there's a gap kind of developing between actually a bit lower down around and about the halfway point. I think, to be honest, I think that's more down to coaching than it is to resources because, as you know, as David said, these the, the smaller teams have never had so much money and, you know, you've got Palace signing Benteke for 35 million or, you know, West Ham spending what they did on Felipe Anderson and, um, you know, Everton spending X amount on Yerry Mina or 54, uh, 54 on Richardson, 40-odd on Sigurdsson. So I don't, I don't think it's a resources point and I think... It's, it's a bit too simplistic to talk about a widening gap. I think a lot of it is down to coaching and approach. And, you know, I understand why when Rafa Benitez plays against the big teams, he just tries to basically get a 2-1 or a 1-0. But, you know, he doesn't have to do that. And games like Wolves, and I know that was a way, but that has... And Palace last year did a good job. You know, they've shown that if you do take take it to see, you, you get a bit of luck, you know, you get some decisions. City have an off day. You might be able to get a point and actually that... Is almost that could be worth a huge amount given how tight it's going to be this year. Yeah. Um, do you think? So yeah, do, David, do you think the the bigger teams have? Uh, maybe this links into the coaching question. Whether the bigger teams have got uh, a, a now better at breaking down teams that that just sit back and and try and park the bus. Because I think back to I don't know maybe in the last five years or so it's been I think. Um, Sometimes you could you could see teams be back to, you know back against the wall and and really grind out a nil nil away at a big team or at home to a big team and it seems like so far this season and you know Howard's, I was probably right it's only a, a snapshot and we're less than a third of the way through the season but it seems like the the top teams especially are finding a way fairly comfortably to to break down some of the lower teams where that's not always been the case um, in previous seasons. Yeah, I, I, I think there's probably something to that. I think the fact that teams are coming and being so defensive is helping because it's almost it's almost becoming a foregone conclusion that um, that if teams sit back so much and allow City and you know Chelsea to have seventy five percent of the ball, then you know we're probably going to score eventually. But I think the other thing is that the big clubs have got savvier, I think, in terms of their spending, and I think probably big teams and squads have never been so good. I mean, I think if you look at the depth of what we and Liverpool have got yeah. now, it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty unfair to be honest. <laughs> I mean, we regularly have, you know, one of Sane, Mares, Sterling on the bench, Jesus always on the bench. We'll have like Otamendi and company on the bench, two kind of you know Premier League, you know, two Premier League winners, two big international yeah. players for their respective teams. So I think the squ- that the, the squad element has got better, and um, even you know not. Ten years ago, I don't think um, big teams had as much. I'm thinking back to that United team with Rooney, um, Ronaldo, Tevez, which was which was very strong. But that kind of seemed that was almost a bit of an outlier at the time. So I think squads have got better, but I also think the uh, the approaches of the small teams has just allowed the bigger teams often just to to suffocate. Mm. That's fair enough. Cool. Okay, right. Well, so kind of staying on the same subject or continuing on anyway, um, I wanted to focus on so those those kind of teams that we've identified um, as being, you know, the ones that the, the chasing pack that are pulling away from the rest almost. Um, and first of all, that will be, I want to talk about Wolves, David, with you first. 
How impressed have you been with them? And do you think, because I've seen a few people saying that they think Wolves are overrated and actually their results haven't been that good against the big teams. But I think it's been a real breath of fresh air to see a team come straight up from the championship, clearly have their shit together and not try and buy too many players and do what Fulham did. I think we all got a bit too sucked in about Fulham, you know, with all these glamour signings. <laughs> actually, Wolves have stuck to, often the teams that do well when they come up from the championship is they stick to what they did in the championship. I had a couple of players here and there but nominally just trying to keep that continuity. So where, where do you stand on Wolves? Overrated or almost like the best of the rest, even though I know they're 11th at the moment? Yeah, I, I, I mentioned it before, but I think that the, the thing for me is they're, they're approaching games. You're right, they've, um, they've stuck to what they, they did well in the Championship and what, what, brought, them about, what brought them success in the Championship. Um, and they've added to that in, with little bits of quality, Matinho, um, in particular, compliments Ruben Neves well, um, but they've stuck with the the system that 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 had worked. Um, I I I like them. I th- I like the manager. Um, I like that they that they have a go and they 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 try and do something a little bit tactically different. And uh, you know, we go back to City and we saw that against City, um, where their their front two, the 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 wide players, sorry, up front really tucked in and gave um, City's fullbacks uh, it, it made them question. Uh, the position that they should be in, and they've, it shows that really that wasn't necessarily a flash in the pan because they've they've replicated that away at Arsenal, away at United, and and perform well against Spurs. Now, where they'll finish up is is another thing. But it, you're right; it is all fairly tight um, from sixth down to down to uh, Wolves in a, in eleventh. There's only four points separating them. Um, but their, their record, I suppose, after 12 games, four wins, four defeats, four losses, I think you'd, you'd take that coming up from the championship. And I think they've, they've, they've clearly performed best out of the, the three promoted teams. Um, and they've got, a, they've, they've got a system that, that works and they're starting, to, they're starting to evolve a little bit. I think Adama Traore um, is being used a little bit more now, who is, is either... I mean, and I know you mentioned on our derby review that... Um, Sane's highs are high and their low, his lows are extremely low. I mean, no one epitomises that more than Adama Traore, who can absolutely dance past a team uh, in one stage and then can barely kick a ball the next minute. Um, but he's a he's he's a talent. He's a bit of a, an X factor player. But uh, no, overall, I, I I like Wolves. I think they've I think they've done really well this season. They've obviously you, you know we're, we're twelve games in and they've played most of the of the big clubs and generally fared, fared well against them. Um, sometimes I think the problem for them is um, when they're the favourites in the game um, and they, they, they potentially don't, don't always um, succeed as well as potentially they, they, as they should do in, in those type of games. Um, but, you know, there are, are, there's a lot of players there that are new to the Premiership and that are are learning and I, I think they'll be fine this season and I, I expect them to potentially move up a couple of places and and finish just about the, the top half. Interesting. What about what about for you, Hard? What have you made of, of Wolves? Yeah, no, I, wouldn't, I mean, to decide if someone's overrated, you have to work out what people are rating, but no, I don't think they're overrated at all. I think... Sixteen points from twelve is okay. It's good. It's not as you know. It's not amazing. But I thought they were. I thought they were in the middle of a dip or at the start of a big dip. Sorry, in the last couple of weeks, I was wondering if it was going to tail off. 
but then they went to Arsenal and I've only seen the highlights but pretty damn unlucky not to have won there and that's an Arsenal team on a you know great run of form uh, so that was really impressive to show there's life in the old dog yet and there's like yeah it was uh, as you said Traore yeah <laughs> inconsistent but that's you know that's something to be able to bring him yeah he has started the odd game but to have him on the bench is a great weapon to have and you've got the likes you know obviously Rui Patricio in goal uh, this is a pretty useful side I think the manager yeah we didn't know much about uh, has done a great job the team you know when the player does I think they were at the peak then they were just a well drilled side with a really tidy midfield two and a bit of pace out wide you know just a, a nice little mix really and there's players you know I didn't really know about like uh, well Costa for example I was really impressed that day and Bowley yeah I, I, I'm quite impressed with them uh, I think we were a bit taken in by Fulham uh, but I did expect both to do well and obviously Wolves are doing you know are the ones that have really uh, pushed on I think that, that you know when I talk about City and we've played a lot of our difficult away games already so I mention you know we've gone to Liverpool already we've gone to uh, to Arsenal we've gone to Spurs but I always put Wolves in because I don't think any team is going to go there and get an easy ride of it this season. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite impressed, and I've got a bit of a soft spot because the, they've uh, obviously the way they've gone about it has annoyed fans of other teams, and <laughs> so that's a big thumbs. <laughs> yeah, big thumbs up from me for that. To be honest, uh, and to be honest, if they've not been found to break any rules, then tough. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I can't remember early in the season we talked about Wolves and someone, and it might have been on the Times podcast, it might even been, it can't have been Marcotti said, but someone said, someone on one of these national podcasts said, you know, Wolves fans will, they not want the team to go down, they're embarrassed about how it's come about. And I thought, what utter ignorance of what being a football fan is. Do you really think a single Wolves fan cares about you know the ownership, me- the link to an agent, or the ownership method. You know, or how they're buying players when they're seeing the best football they've seen in well, easily over a decade. So, yeah, good on them. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty impressed by what I've seen so far. I'm glad we've got the away game out of the way. To be honest, yeah, definitely. I actually think, to be honest, I think given given their results and given the performances that I've seen, I think they're probably they're underachieving on points so far. And through the 12, yeah. they've played United away. They've played, obviously, Arsenal away at the weekend. They've had Spurs at home. They've had us at home. Um, you know, and that's four of the, four of the, you know, the, the six most difficult games out of the way through 12. So, you know, I can see them, especially with the squad that they've built and the fact that, you know, Traore is one of the best substitutes in the league, really, in terms of hmm. being able to make but an impact. As a defender, you don't want to see him coming on on 70 minutes, do you? No, he's... If you're a left-back, you just don't want to see him coming on. Yeah, he's... he's, he's I mean, David's right, he's, he's inconsistent, but when he's when he's on it, he's just such an athlete that it's almost impossible to live with and, you you know, there's no substitute for pace and if he knocks it past you, then... Your, and your Pablo Zabaleta or you know <laughs> whoever an older <laughs> yeah. fullback in the league, then you know you're absolutely done, aren't you? So, no, I've been really impressed with Wolves, and I think um, I think they'll I think they'll continue to improve, and I can see them finishing above eleventh, definitely. Um, As always, it's about depth in sitting when we go through that Christmas period. 
think you'll see what teams like this are made of. To be honest, so. no, definitely, definitely. I can I can see them get, once they're playing with a bit of regularity, and you know we've got kind of two games a week. I can see them going on a bit of a run because I think they've got more depth than than some of the other teams, which is fair enough. Um, but yeah, okay. Um, next, Bournemouth, who I think have had a really really interesting season so far this season. Granted, last couple of results haven't gone their way. But you know they were they were pretty good against United and just did a bit of a Bournemouthy thing towards the kind of the last thirty minutes of the game. Mm. Um, and the reason I, it's been particularly interesting because I kind of thought that this season might be the end of the kind of Eddie Howe experiment because he's been there for a while. And for me, last season anyway, he got to that point where the team was still full of a lot of players that brought them up three four years ago, and he'd failed to move them on. And often when he'd signed players like Jordan and I, there are lots of examples. He hadn't managed to kind of regenerate the team and get rid of the Charlie Danielses and the Steve Cooks and et cetera that have, you know, obviously propelled them there. But this season, you know, despite, I think I predicted they'd go down. They've been, you know, they're sixth and they're on 20 points. And actually for the first time, I think under Eddie Howe, they've, they've signed some players who have come straight into the first team and been really impressive. I think David Brooks, the kind of number 10 wide player, Welsh guy has been, revelation obviously they've brought Lerma into centre mid Ryan Fraser although he's not a new signing has kind of kicked on this year and is like a fantasy um, favourite for anyone that plays fantasy Premier League um, Howard what, what do you what do you make of them do you think they've got the staying power or do you think actually they don't have the depth and if you get an injury to like a Callum Wilson or um, or David Brooks actually they're just a very good starting eleven, and maybe not the depth of a of a team like Wolves? Well, some uh, hot analysis here. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> <laughs> because, like like you, I just think every season is this the season where it kind of fall off a cliff. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. You've got, you've, you've got to give credit to how what he's done there. I mean, yeah, I mean, just, you know, name the names. Callum Wilson, Steve Cook, Gosling, Joshua King, Charlie Daniels. They're all good players, but they're not, you know, they're not players that you'd, Ever expect to be playing for a top four side? Maybe, maybe David Brooks will keep. Uh, I assume he's the uh, the ex City youth player, isn't he? Uh, you know, to just Harry Arter and team. You know, they don't they don't excite you, but he makes them quite exciting. They're exciting to watch. They're just you know good on the ball, tidy players, a uh, bit of pace, well drilled, and he's made the home. You know, he's made playing at home a bit of a fortress. You know, by their level. Uh, and I think you know I've seen interviews in the past. They look at him players like like other players look at Pep Guardiola. He gets the respect of players, and that's why you know when he says something, players listen to him. He improves players. Uh, Ryan Fraser, I think he's had a couple of bad injuries in the past, but yeah, you stick with players like this, and they come good. And they've dotted it with yeah the first big signing, as we say, the the uh, the money available to clubs. That Bournemouth, obviously, the first one, Jordan Ibe, who, as we know, is better than Sterling, was probably their their worst, you know, their worst dip into the transfer market with some funds behind them. But, you know, they've got someone like Aki before then, and I think they spent tw- over £20 million on someone this summer. So they've dotted it with the odd bigger signing here and there. Uh, and they just play attractive football. And the way, I know United aren't playing well, but they embarrassed them <laughs> for half an hour in that game. And they're just, yeah, and they're, they're good to watch. He just doesn't give up on his principles ever. So, 
Yeah, well, I mean, we've discussed on this podcast before where, you know, what is Howe's future? And I don't know, I've no idea if he went to, say, an Arsenal or Spurs or United, if he could replicate it or if he's just made for the club he's at. But uh, you've got to give him credit for putting together this squad. Uh, no, definitely. Which, yeah, season after season just keeps performing. But as you, you know, but then again, they've just lost two. I'll be losing away at Newcastle. No offence to them, because this is a dig at their recruitment more than the club itself, is not a, you know, a good sign. So we'll see if they're in a dip now, because yet again, it's about you know the, the sort of team that could go on a bad run as well as a good run, uh, which would be a shame. I can't seem, again, depth of squad resources, I can't seem staying quite that high in the table, but I really do hope they finish top half, because they deserve that. No, definitely. And, you know, so it just when we, you know, when we played there last season, I know it was early in the season and the team wasn't playing well, just come off that one all with Everton. But the way they negated us that day uh, was, you know, something very few managers can do with a, against a Pep team. So, yeah, credit to him. Definitely. I think that the, I think the other thing, I, from my perspective, is that they they seem to me to be the big benefactors of this kind of widening top 10 and half 10 that I kind of see it as because they take that approach in all games and often that lent them to getting slapped by City and Tottenham and United and whatever but now they're dominating all the other teams that they play against whenever I watch Bournemouth against one of the non-top six teams they're always dominant in possession generally I mean I know Newcastle happened at the weekend but this season they've been battering teams um, and scoring you know not just one or two Um, and I think to be honest, the thing that would would have worried me with Howe is that he hadn't managed to regenerate a team and do kind of more than one cycle. But now, if he can if he can end this season by, you know, continuing as they are now and basically regenerating the team to having you know still some of the guys that got them promoted three four years ago or whatever, but bringing three new guys and and making that kind of chemistry work, then then I think that points for me towards towards him being able to at least being able to justify him being pushed for a, a, a role at a bigger club. Um, but yeah, Dave, David, what, where, where do you stand on them? I think um, I, I think you're both right about Eddie Howe and I think it's often the case for a manager is, um, is timing. So if, he, if they do continue to do well this season and say he finishes top eight and a bigger job comes available in the summer, then, you know, he might get, um, he might get looked at. It's all timing with them, and it's a, a bit of luck of when opportunities become available. Um, I agree, though, that they are. Um, it's their approach. They they obviously play really, really good football, and they've they've tweaked things, tweaked things slightly. Excuse me, um, with a couple of signings that have, have really fitted into the system and, and added to it. Really, the only kind of note of caution for me really is that. They've had a they've had a generally a nice start to the season in terms of fixtures. They've only played yeah, United yeah. and Chelsea out of the the bigger teams, and I suppose it, we might know more in four games' time because the next four um, are Arsenal at home, City away, Huddersfield at home, Liverpool at home. So they've got three real tough fixtures out of the next four there, um, and that may be a little bit more of a you may see them see them plateau a little bit. Um, now, but you know they've they've got some really talented players, and I think it's right that um, Lewis Cook has um, 
knocking on the door to the England squad and Callum Wilson's finally got his chance. Um, I think they're, they're, they're all, they're both... Well, Wilson's a really Yeah, player. he is. And he's obviously struggled here. I think he's had two two ACLs on, on uh, either either knee. Um, and it it's nice to see him get get a run and he's, he's repaying how and you know he's keeping some you know the Jermaine Defoe's still there but he's just not getting a look in because of because of Wilson's form and he, he's well well overdue his uh his chance at England but I presume Wayne Mooney's going to see to that and the 15 minutes that Wilson may have got maybe Mooney will have that on there Thursday instead but anyway I'm going off topic there so that's another that's another no, no, it's, delici- it's delicious irony <laughs> yeah. I think it's, de- it's delicious irony that Wilson's made the squad and um Wayne's back from DC and he'll get, he'll probably get that final 15 minutes. Um, just to wrap up on Bournemouth though, um, I mean, this might come back to haunt me, but I, I have, I have thought for a while over the last few weeks, if I was, if I was Spurs, given what's just happened with the Solari situation and that he's going to be, they've announced he's going to be this Madrid manager till the rest of the year, which I think for me, would as a Spurs fan would really set set the alarm bells ringing because I don't think there's no way Pochettino would go halfway through the season if mm. if Poch is to go there and I do think that's an if because of what's happened with the stadium and I think he wants to take them into the new stadium and we still don't know whether that's going to happen this season I would be I'd be looking I'd, I'd definitely have Eddie Howe on, on the on the list of interviewees for um, for the Spurs job because I think he's got the shades of a Pochettino about him and I'd also. I'd be looking at Wilson as a kind of second striker alternative to to Kane because I think they still don't have that and in Lorente they've not got someone really that can ease the burden and do the job whereas I think Wilson isn't just a goal scorer he's shown he can set other players up he can do a bit of what Kane does kind of drop in feed others I think he would be a very good kind of um, second option for Spurs and he's still only 26 and whilst he has had the two ACLs he's you know he's not it's not like he's 29 or you know he's pushing into his 30s. So I, I, that's that's another one for Spurs. I'd be looking to take a point on, but I'm sure Spurs fans would probably tell me that you know I'm absolutely crazy and they should be looking at better options. But just a thought I'd had. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay, great. Right, fi- final final team to come on to. Um, obviously, a good performance from them this weekend, and that's Everton kind of closing Chelsea out. David, what? <laughs> How do you think Marco Silva's done so far? Because I think it's a really difficult one to to judge of Everton because they've been a bit of a yo-yo club kind of over the last twenty four months. But and there's there's been that criticism of him that when you look at some of his games um, for Hull and some of his games, a lot of his games for Everton, I don't think they'd kept a clean sheet possibly before this weekend. Um, but actually, you know, he then takes a really interesting tactical approach at the weekend and does, you know, what. Maybe you'd think, or as a football fan, you'd think is the obvious thing, um, but no one's done it, which is putting two players on Jorginho and basically completely disrupting Chelsea's build-up. Where where do you stand with him? Do you think he's beginning to regenerate that team, or do you think you know actually he's just got a lot of good players and you know maybe he's not doing as well as he should be? No, I think um, I think they had a they had a slow start, but then they did quite a bit of their business late, um, and and I know. Uh, a few of the players they signed when they weren't fully fit. So Yerry Mina, I think, is his Premier League debut against Chelsea. Andre Gomez has only come in for a, a couple of games, and, and Bernard likewise. Um, that that team needed um, uh, refreshing, and we we I know there was a discussion last last season that, that 
we initially thought that they'd done fairly good business until we realised that they've they bought basically the same player um, over and over again, and it was really a one pace side. But now um, I think Leighton Baines has kind of come to his uh, come to the end of his time at Everton. Uh, Jaggy Elka, likewise. Um, and and I think they've got that they're a really um, they're a really interesting team Everton. I think um, Richarlison, who I was who I, I've said on these podcasts, I I was never really convinced with um, is be, is becoming a real central figure for them. And the responsibility he has in terms of playing up front, um, he seems to be thriving on that. Um, and you know, he, he did worry after spending so much money on him. Um, after really what was only a good couple of months at Watford, uh, but he seems to be doing really well, and I think it's now he's got the the, the players that he signed in, and they, they, he's got them fit. We're starting to see um, the model that he's going for with the the four two three one Sigerson behind Richarlison and Bernard and and Walker out wide. Um, Andre Gomez is a is a really neat and tidy player and kind of complements um, Gay well in uh, in midfield. Um, I think I think well maybe it's the other way actually. Gay with his uh, his style of play and how combative he is, how he gets around the pitch, maybe suits Andre Gomez um, well. Um, but I th- I think now now he's started to get. Um, uh, his proper proper team together. They they did start slow and they did suffer a couple of defeats. So I remember I watched them against West Ham at home when they got beat three one and they were really poor then. But uh, there've been signs that the win away at um, Leicester um, and they've started to pick up um, and and it, it kind of culminated in a, a really decent point for them at um, at Stamford Bridge at the weekend. Now again with. We're twelve games in, and maybe maybe halfway through the season will be a good a good uh, place to judge them. But it seems now, over the last few weeks, have start he started to get all his players um, fit, and we're starting to see kind of his strongest eleven or what he perceives to be his strongest eleven. And you know, we'll, I guess we'll see how that goes over the next three or four weeks, and uh, and see if it kind of. They they all bed in together as uh, you know. Obviously, he'll hope they will, um, but. They, they, they. I mean, they should really. I think they should be pushing for um, the top six or seven. Um, I think they've got quality throughout the squad, um, and I, I think now, as I said, I keep going back to it, but now he's got their his his players fit. I think um, they can they can make a real impact for him, and I think they they can have a a real good second half to the season. Howard, where do you stand on the on the blue scars? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen very little of them this season, to be honest. Uh, yeah, and I think what you say, another, it's hard to pigeonhole, you know, to place where Everton should be, but the squad's pretty decent. Uh, and, you know, and it's hard to, he's always been ticked for big thing, things, but again, his career so far, you can't say, you can't decide that he's going to be one of the best coaches in the world. But he seems to be doing pretty well, and I think, I, I know that. And what little I know of him, he's, he's always trumpeted. I think playing four three three, but as has been mentioned, it's you know more four two three one. He seems a bit flexible. I think with him, you know, coming off the Allardyce reign, I think he's a bit of breath of fresh air really for the club. Uh, and you can't really be judged on his early games. Uh, but yeah, he seems brought in some good plays. You know, plays like Sigurdsson seem to have more freedom now. Little tweaks in tactics, uh, attacking down the wings. And yeah, Rickardson made my eyes water when it was announced they were signing for what about forty million. 
But there, yeah. but in the end, it, it seems to me that there's a manager who has a plan rather than just buying players because he, you know, he targets him and said, I want him. And to be honest, he's been damn good. <laughs> yeah, he's been really good. He's put him a striker. You know, he's not the greatest passer, so they have to work around his strengths. But yeah, he's getting, he's just getting more out of players and they've brought in, you know, the previous summer we we all got a bit of a head ourselves like we did with Fulham this summer about their signings the previous summer, which, you know, ended up to be a disastrous season for many reasons. Uh, but I think now we're seeing, you know, system, proper management uh, and a philosophy in place. So I think they're in pretty good hands, to be honest. There, uh, Again, just how far can they go? They're just, you know, they're kind of they're stuck in that region of 6th to 8th. And I guess around 6th or 7th is where they're aiming for at the end of the season. Yeah, try and knock United off the perch of sixth, I think, is probably the target. <laughs> but no, they, yeah. I'm, I, I'm impressed. And I think he's built, maybe not through through totally his own doing, but I think Everton kind of almost by accident have built quite a good squad despite what they did last season because they've got, you know, they've got people like Calvert-Lewin on the bench, they've got Luckman, they've now got Bernard mm-hmm. who's brought in. Cenk Tosin, you know, has played a, a lot of games for Turkey, scored a lot of goals across Europe. They've got a lot of depth, so if you know if they do get injuries, and it sounds like Sigurdsson's um, injured after that awful tackle from Jorginho, then I think they should be able to cope with that. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I think there's was there's still time, more time we need on on Marco Silva. But I always think it's interesting how the players that have worked under him talk about managers, and often when you hear players um, from Watford or from Hull talk about Marco Silva, they are always very very strong in their praise uh, and saying that they think he'll go to the top and I think that you know that gives us a insight that as a fan you don't get to see on what he's like behind closed doors in terms of his detail mm-hmm. um, yeah. also to, to second game after the break is the Merseyside Derby Anfield so oh, nice little again, win you get a good look to see what he comes up with there to, to stifle it Liverpool's attack that's a good shout um, Howard so if you have to t- give me one of Wolves Bournemouth Everton who do you think is going to finish the highest of the three? Uh, I think, yeah, Everton will. I think it's, oh, that's close, to be honest. I think, Everton, yeah, Everton and neither two will be very close together at the end of the season, I think. But yeah, Everton, as you say, they have got, got a, a manager with a good premiership experience and they have got, when you look at that squad, yeah, a good mix of players. So I think Everton will, will hang around, you know, towards the end of the season will be sixth or seventh. Bournemouth and Wolves, I think, will will drop a bit, but I still don't, I don't expect them to go below mid-table. So, yeah, Everton for me. OK, David? Yeah, also Everton. I, th- I think um, Bournemouth's position is, is slightly false because of the fixtures that they've had. Um, I... I I think yeah, I think Everton could they they should be uh, pushing really for for sixth if they if they can. Um, I think Bournemouth may drop off slightly over the next uh, few weeks and kind of reach their level. Um, and I think Bournemouth and uh, Wolves will be fairly close in 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 position, you know, battling out between the two of them. Fair, I think probably a full house. I think Head says Everton, but I think Hart says Wolves because I think. Wolves, I do think Wolves have probably underachieved on their performances this season. So 
I think they're a good shot, but Everton have just, I think they've got too much depth. And if they'll, they, they'll be able to deal with certain players maybe being out over Christmas, whereas um, I'm not 100% sure Wolves will if you take, say, a Neves out or mm. um, Helder Costa out or somebody like that. Um, okay, right. Before, before we wrap up, um, we're going to talk about referees. And I think, well, that Charlie Austin video was. It's just amazing for anyone who hasn't seen it. I don't know how he managed to speak in such a such a perfect rhythm for a part life tune, but it, it and it's three separate like lines of speech as well. It's just just great. Um, the, the interviewer just didn't know what to say. Did he? Was like <laughs> just didn't know how to, didn't have a follow up question after his first rant. So was stuttering because he was so taken aback by it. Like, well, it's, it. I mean, first of all, I thought it was just really refreshing to actually see a player not come out and give a really anodyne trained response and and actually not be that disrespectful either towards you know referees as we can often see um kind of managers and players be and you know say that fundamentally you know the refs need help and the game's too fast etc david i know you wanted to to talk about it so in off your long run <laughs> um no it was uh... I mean, you've covered a little bit of it there, really. The fact that um, that Austin came out and 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 spoke as he did, you saw the frustration involved. I think that the specifics with that game, though, that were that were quite interesting. That um, the referee actually missed a penalty for the Watford should have had. So, despite Hughes and and Austin um, ranting and raving about uh, how the referees cost them, I think there was probably an argument that he's. Um, He's cost Watford, and Watford may have equalised earlier. Um, if that, if the penalty, I think it was on uh, Shalabar. Um, what? Yeah, Bertrand, yeah, Bertrand on Shalabar. Yeah, that yeah. Is, would have been a second yellow as well. But. Well, exactly. Um, it's it. It was one thing for me was was the approach that um, that Austin took, and it was. Um, I mean, it was just it, it was just absolutely born out of frustration, wasn't it? And I know they've struggled for goal Southampton, and it's a it's an easy um, it's an easy blame to put on a on a referee. But um, almost to the other side of that, where the press had brought up a lot about Anthony Taylor ahead of the the Manchester derby, and um, you know trying to get potentially get Pep in trouble by speaking about him before the before the derby in the in the press conference. I actually thought he was he was really good. Um, I thought he had a, a, a pretty decent game, really. A lot, you know, any major calls that he had, he he generally got right. Um, so yeah, I, I I was just wondering generally what you thought or what you both thought really of the of the standard this season. Are, are they is it really showing up more in the Premier League that we don't have the uh, we don't have VAR um, or uh, and do we do we feel like in the European games that we have, the the standards kind of noticeably better. Is it better? Oh God! Uh, well, firstly, I think Southampton voted against VAR, <laughs> so he should have a word with his uh, <laughs> with his board if he wants it in, because uh, you know we might have it already if it wasn't for teams like Southampton. Uh, I I was pro VAR originally, but you know as I was leaving the ground, you know I was discussing it after the match on Sunday. It was like. It's like, well, that third goal, you know, imagine celebrate, you're celebrating that third goal in the derby and you wouldn't have that celebration again because you'd be wondering, oh, was that offside? Are we going to VAR? 
you have to wait until you can celebrate a goal and it takes it away from me. But I do think, logically, referees need it because they can't see everything. So, uh, and there's actually, a, you know, there's press reports today that there will be VAR meeting again and it, they're thinking of bringing it in next season. Uh, and I note, interestingly, after City got a soft penalty, they're fast-tracking it into the Champions League as well, which I'm sure is just coincidence of timing. So, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, uh, but, you know, back to Southampton, I don't mind a player, as you say, he was very tempered. He, he was very uh, controlled about it. He didn't say, you know, he'll probably get an FA charge or something, but he didn't say anything that controversial. And it's about time we saw a player be honest. But as you say, it's a bit, uh, you yeah, know, he's a bit selective with his vision because <laughs> they got away with one before that. Uh, I, I, I think VAR is coming, so he's going to get his wish anyway. Uh, there's no stopping it. And it's a fast game. And, you know, match officials can't see everything, so uh, soon we will, I guess, in theory, we will have fewer controversies like this. Yeah. I, what, I, what do you think, Lloyd, I think so? the interesting thing with VAR, I can't remember who made this point, so sorry to whoever did, but um, the fact that we haven't had it this season, but everybody else, or, or all the other big European leagues has, and obviously the football over the summer has, I think is for me anyway. It's kind of almost ended the debate about whether we do or don't need it. I think in practicality, we do, and there are too many clangers that are being made, which are not necessarily the ref's fault, but they're just angles or elements of a decision where sight is difficult or the pace of the game's taking the ball up the other end. That actually, that is where we need VAR, and now I, I do think it is needed. I. I agree with the celebration aspect. I'm not really sure how you get around that, but I think that I think the debate has almost become is almost shifted too far in favour of VAR that I think you can't just try and bat it away because of the celebration element. I think you can try and tweak yeah. the system to facilitate the celebration to work and that might take a while and that might rob us of some, you know, great celebrations whilst um they're checking it. I think you can do some sort of review in the background system. I'm not sure, obviously, technically how you'll do that, but I think that's probably the option. Um, on on the refereeing standards in general, I thought, actually, just to touch on Anthony Taylor, I thought he was absolutely excellent um, on Sunday. Probably one of the best refereeing performances I've, I've seen in pff, ages. I thought he was really, really good. Not swayed by either team. Um, must have been very tough mm-hmm. ref for him. Because I think, as everybody knows, he is a United fan. Um, <laughs> so common knowledge. Uh, it, so it must have been it must have been tough. But I, I thought credit to him; he had a great game, and I, I honestly can't remember a, a big decision that he got wrong. But in general, I think standards refereeing standards have dropped, as well as the game becoming um, more difficult to ref. I think an interesting parallel is I know a lot of football fans don't like rugby, but I watch a bit of rugby and the refereeing standards in rugby have just been on the up and on the up and on the up and I think that's there's that there's that's not a coincidence and it's to do with how referees are treated and I think more people um want to referee rugby because of how the rugby refs are treated and how you see football refs are often treated you know there's a big a big big difference um so I think that's an interesting thing to point towards and obviously what Mark Clattenberg said when he hung up his boots about um they're not being treated fairly in terms of by the by the refereeing association. 
but that's a problem for football to sort out and I think VAR will definitely help it but I do think there's a there's a wider issue with refereeing standards and incentivizing people to ref because I would never want to ref or have to go already out in the I mean it's it's annoying enough playing football on a Sunday when it's pissing it down but it'd be even worse with 22 twats shouting at you um, or dads mums and dads at like an under nines game so I completely understand why the numbers have dropped and I've got a mate who's wanting to be a ref so I've spoken to him well he's we were ref league two now I've spoken to him a lot by a lot so I think he shares the same view um David have you got any any thoughts on the general standards of referee I, I think um there was a or do you think it's a VA, more VAR? Yeah, well, I, I think they've. I think the the standard went started to go up when they were made professional, but I think over the last few seasons, it seems to me that they've um, that they've dropped. And I think it's the the frustration is for for me. You'll you, I I kind of accept that referees will make make wrong decisions uh, at times because of a number of different reasons. Um, it's when it's when they um, so there were examples at the weekend where the, the obviously the Charlie Austin goal that wasn't given um, it's not really clear who's eventually given that made that decision it's not really clear it, it, well it seems like the referees had a message in his ear but is that from the linesman if so why does he need to do that because he's got a flag is it the fourth official uh, are they supposed to be getting involved in those sort of decisions uh, it it was just very strange. And then there's the same with um, Chelsea Everton when there was a clash between Rudiger and Bernard. There, there was a, a, an image where they've shown one of the replays and the referee's actually running in the opposite direction to the incident happening and um, still manages to give the, the decision. And it's, it, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's those sort of ones where, I mean, obviously it's the game's analysed even like more than it ever has been uh, with so many different camera angles and it you know previously the referee probably got away with something like that um but now everything is uh, is under the microscope so much more and and with that therefore they do need that ex- extra help from from a VAR um for me and i think that the sooner it comes in generally the the better it'll be for for the premier league yeah, no, I agree. And I think, as Howard said, it looks now as if it's going to be, it is going to come in. And I don't think the Premier League is the, the product and the league that it is across the world can continue to you know, basically be the only European league without what is oh. essentially the, the premier kind of refereeing technology, etc. And also playing whether you hate it or not, I love it. This is the biggest sport in the world by a country mile. It's the most lucrative, the most money. You know, other sports have had this technology for years and years and years and years. It, it, it looks ridiculous that we're not even, you know, checking out decisions during a match when, you know, when every, every other sport literally has taken on technology for, you know, sometimes for over a decade. So, yeah, you know, tennis, you've got your, what's the, what's it called? You know, whether it's gone out or not. You oh, cricket has got it a lot. Mm. Hawkeye, yeah. So. I only watch once a year, so once Wimbledon's faded away, I forget everything. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, everything's got it. It's just, yeah, it's inevitable. So, And with these things, you tweak it until it gets better, hopefully. So. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's, that, that's, that's how it's worked in rugby and cricket as well. And I think it's indisputable now in both those sports that it hasn't added to the game. And actually, 
in some some in some ways it can bring an element of theatre once you get it right. But that, I think that it's that's going to take a while for football, and there'll be yeah. there'll be some angry conversations on this podcast next season. I'm sure about goals or goals yeah, that well, should or shouldn't have been given. The key with VAR is the move that the sport is is made and designed and structured for a TV audience rather than people actually yeah. at the match. Yeah. So with VAR, a lot of the time in the early days, it seems those in the ground are the last to know what on earth's going on. So that's the key to that's VAR the, in a way. Yeah. Is that we are kept up to date about you know the decisions uh, and which you know with scoreboards and the like, it should not be a problem. No, definitely, I agree. That is that is that was the big problem kind of emanating from the World Cup I think so once they sort that out because you know the Premier well I suppose the Premier fan that, that deserves and needs to know is, is the match going fan as the fan there in the stadium so yeah. um, that's definitely something needs to be sorted out great okay thanks lads um, well thanks David first of all um, cheers Lloyd thanks enjoyed it two in two days now, <laughs> all done and uh <laughs> cheers Howard I know you'll be on later in the week yep uh, hopefully I'll get to talk about United at some point so. I know I think that's in the plan don't worry um, but yeah there, there'll be more podcasts this week I know we're doing an international league matters as well um, no doubt Wayne Rooney and Callum Wilson will be discussed on that and there'll be a look back uh, with a bit more time about the United game and the importance of the result and the divide as everyone seems to be talking about so Anyway, thanks everyone for listening. Um, Tune in over the rest of this week for more podcasts and as always, up the blues.